Learn how to take your caring and giving farther with the Caring and Funding Podcast powered by Cap America. Cap America, America's leader in cross-border philanthropy, helps corporations, foundations, wealth advisors, and individuals who wish to give internationally and with enhanced due diligence in the United States. Through its industry-leading grants management program and philanthropic advisory services, CAF America helps donors amplify their impact and ensure their gifts are made in a safe and effective manner. This caring and funding podcast is dedicated to these donors and the charities they support. Our guests are leaders in their field who join us to share tips for success and stories that inspire. Our host is Ted Hart, the CEO of CAF America. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at capamerica.org, on iTunes, and now just say, Alexa, play CAF America on TuneIn. Now, welcome the host of CAF America's Caring and Funding Podcast, Ted Hart. And welcome to this latest edition of the Caring and Funding Podcast. Thank you uh, for joining us today. My guest today is Jane Peebles. Uh, who is senior partner of Carlin and Peebles in Los Angeles, California. Her primary areas of practice are U.S. and international estate and charitable planning, where she represents high net worth families, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and nonprofits. She is a frequent speaker and author on a variety of domestic and international estate and charitable planning topics. Uh, Jane has taught an extensive course in cross-border philanthropy for the Certified Specialist in Plan Giving Program for 16 years. Uh, but I think from the perspective of CAF America, more importantly, Jane, you are an author in our new book, Cross-Border Giving, A Legal and Practical Guide. Chapter 9 is your chapter, Responsible Giving, the International Grant Maker's Perspective. And welcome here to the Caring and Funding Podcast, Jane Peebles. It would help, Jane, if I turned on your microphone. Uh, so there you are, Jane. You are now with us. Sorry about that. Thank you, Ted. Thank you for having me. It is great to have you here. Now, you start off your chapter, uh, you, you go right right to the, the heart of the matter, the penalties for violating U.S. anti-terrorist financing rules are severe. So I, I think that, that sort of leads right into why is responsible giving an important topic to include in our new desk reference for international grant makers? Sure. I think working with international grant makers over many years, uh, one thing that I've focused on a lot is their ability to be sure that the money they are giving is actually being used for charitable purposes. So we know that in the, in the United States, charities have special advantages. They don't pay taxes. Uh, and that's because our government wants to encourage charitable activity. And charities here have to follow a lot of rules. And if they break those rules, they can get fined. They can lose their tax exemption. But that's not the case everywhere in the world. So while we have a culture of accountability and transparency, other countries' laws may be very different from ours. And so it can be much harder for a nonprofit that's making grants to fund programs outside of the United States to keep track of those dollars and be responsible and be able to show 
yes, these dollars were used for what we wanted them used for. So th this isn't just uh, uh, as simple as writing a check and sending money to a charity. Th this is serious business. This is very serious business. Um, and there's no question that you know, our government, the IRS, also realize that charities making grants for use abroad just face a much higher risk that funds might be diverted to support terrorism or in some other way that would violate our laws. Violate our laws or, or just simply divert the funds to non-charitable purposes, which would violate the principle of the underlying uh, tax receipts. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Uh, so we're here, talking we about, uh, yeah, a risk-filled world um, and trying to provide a pathway for well-meaning Americans who truly want to be philanthropic, who want to be charitable, want to make important things happen around the world. And so while nobody likes regulations and people bristle against uh, a variety of different laws, these are guideposts that make certain that what is intended actually takes place. Absolutely. That is their purpose. Could you summarize some of the laws and give us some background on what are we talking about here? Because, you know, the, there's a lot of moving pieces here, anti-money laundering, anti-terrorist financing, protecting the underlying uh, tax receipts for the contribution, making sure that the intent is followed. So what, what are some of the laws that are pertinent to this topic? Sure. Well, in, in the anti-terrorism arena, uh, we have two things that happened very shortly after the September 11, uh, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center when you know our country was very focused, obviously, on terrorism. Uh, about a week after that attack, then-President George W. Bush, uh, actually this was not a law, but he issued an executive order that prohibits anyone in the United States from providing any funds or goods or services to so-called listed persons. And I'll explain that in a moment. Um, and, and that prohibition also extended to uh, providing humanitarian donations of food, of water that's safe for drinking, things we might not normally think of. What happened with that order was a list was formed called the Specially Designated Nationals List. And basically, any organization or any person that our government believes is terrorist or engages in terrorist acts is supposed to be on that list. If a charity ever gets on that list, it immediately loses its tax exemption, of course. And that list has become quite, uh, quite important. The United Nations has a list. The European Union has a list. Uh, and so one of the rules for charities granting abroad is particularly if you're granting into a politically unstable or corrupt or war-torn area, you need to be checking everyone you can think of against one of these lists. So if you know the board of directors of the foreign charity you want to support, take every name, run it through the list. Uh, and that's sort of standard procedure now for anyone 
granting into other than a, a, a Western country that has laws a lot like ours, and even then it's a good idea to do. There's some problems with well, it, though. Because it's not, a defense, it's not a defense to inadvertently say, I didn't know. It is not a defense to say, I didn't know exactly. Uh, and, I mean, I, if you want to talk about the, what the consequences can be of unintentionally, you know, unwittingly having some dollars get diverted to terrorism, uh, it, it's quite alarming. Um, the government can freeze your, the nonprofit's assets immediately. No warning. Suddenly, access are inaccessible. People may remember, if you were around then, that right after 9-11, several Muslim uh, charities had assets seized here in the U.S. Um, obviously, there's no warning, or <laughs> funds could be moved before our government seized them. The funds could be moved, right. Another possible uh, result, again, and this is for unintentionally funding or supporting terrorism, um, is retroactive loss of the charity's tax-exempt status. That can be absolutely devastating. So these are very serious penalties, even when you're not intending to help terrorists. Right. And, and of course, you know, in, in a charity um, not, not following those guidelines or, or those laws, um, potentially the donors of that organization can also have their, their tax returns audited. Yes, they can. Absolutely. What other laws are we talking about in this regard? Because, again, we're not trying to, on this podcast, scare people. We're trying to let them know how serious the government is about providing appropriate guideposts and laws to make certain that uh, charitable giving to charitable purposes around the world is, in fact, charitable giving to charitable purposes around the world. Exactly. Well, if I may, Ted, before I touch on the next important law, I just wanted to let our audience know how our government defines um, listed persons or helping terrorists. Uh, and the definition we have where these penalties might kick in is if a nonprofit engages in any transactions at all involving anyone who's on this list, the listed persons, um, or the property of a listed person or unnamed person to assist or sponsor or provide financial support to a listed person, um, humanitarian aid included. And this one's most difficult, um, anyone who is, quotes, otherwise associated with listed persons. That's kind of a fuzzy, who's associated, how do you know that? And so that's part of the structure of these rules and guidelines um, and why someone might unwittingly fund terrorists with, when they didn't mean to. So I would say the second important law is the Patriot Act. Um, we had laws against supporting terrorists before 9-11, but about a month after 9-11, we really beefed up um, the prohibition against funding terrorists. And so what the Patriot Act does is it prohibits intentionally and knowingly supporting terrorists. So very different bar you really have to admit to do it. Um, but what can happen to your nonprofit if you do? Well, pretty bad. 
uh, directors of the nonprofit could serve 15 years or more in prison um, if the terrorist or terrorist organization actually uses the funds to commit a terrorist act up to life in prison. This is the directors of the charity. There are also very steep fines that the government imposes. And if there were a civil suit, say for wrongful death or something of that sort, um, damages are tripled in these situations. And so our government's saying we are really serious about this. Very, very, very serious. And, and one thing, uh, one thing that people I don't think necessarily remember or know is that uh, the USA Patriot Act that you're speaking of now uh, that was signed into law October of 2001 actually stands for Uniting and Strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct Terrorism Act of 2001. So Patriot, while it has other meanings, actually is an acronym uh, for what the act is meant to do. Yes, it is, and it's quite a mouthful. <laughs> I think that's yes, real. Which is why we call say it the Patriot, Patriot Act. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so I didn't mean to interrupt. I want to make sure that we continue uh, listing the, uh, the pertinent laws uh, for this discussion. Right. Well, we also have um, anti-money laundering laws, uh, and if you've got large funds moving across borders, uh, again, highest risk in politically unstable or war-torn areas in highly corrupt jurisdictions, you do need to watch out for whether money laundering is occurring. And it puts an onus on the U.S. charity that made that grant to track where those dollars are going and perhaps where they're coming from as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and to understand what is, what is the potential or known um, relationship between the donor and that charity. You know, it, it is, is there undue influence that that donor might be able to exert after the grant is made? Well, you can certainly say if we learn, and, and you're supposed to, if we learn that funds have been diverted from the charitable purpose that we meant to support, then that's it. We don't give you any more money. Uh, and That's you right. can try right. to trace it, um, but it's very frequently impossible. The money's been used, so you can't recoup it. Um, I would say the fourth one that I get concerned about is the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Uh, can't give bribes to other governments, can't receive bribes. Um, I've actually had situations where that has come into play. Uh, unexpectedly uh, for clients, and uh, it, it, you know it, it can really be a minefield. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, without strong uh, procedures in place and compliance with the law. Exactly. Yes, and we'll talk about what some of those procedures are. I'm sure. Exactly. Well, Jane, um, moving beyond uh, those guideposts. Uh, shortly after that, in 2002, the Treasury Department released the Anti-Terrorist Financing Guidelines, Voluntary Best Practices uh, for U.S.-based Charities, and those were updated in 2006. And at the time that those were, were updated, uh, the uh, IRS said that the uh, guidelines urged charities to take a proactive risk-based approach 
to protecting against illicit abuse and are intended to be guide, uh, applied by those charities vulnerable to such abuse in a manner that is commensurate with the risks they face and the resources mm -hmm. with which they work. Um, but it also goes on to say that these are, in fact, guidelines and do not supersede any existing statutes or regulations, many of which you just mentioned. Right, and, and nor does following the guidelines um, automatically uh, put you in a, in a safe harbor situation where uh, right. you know, you're not going to get in trouble. Right, well, but following the, the guidelines as a best practice, you know, while it does not necessarily create, as you said, a, a safe harbor where you can be certain, um, it is important to document the process uh, that you used um, and certainly being knowledgeable of and implementing the guidelines is a good way to become compliant. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, some of these things are just common sense. Um, do your research into this foreign organization you're thinking of funding. Find out as much about it as you can. Does it have charitable status in the country where it is? Um, who are members of the board? Run them through that specially designated nationals list. Um, what are its finances? Has it, does it have a track record of successful charitable projects? Um, all kinds of questions to be asked before the U.S. charity decides to make a grant to that foreign charity, um, and then to put into place uh, procedures that help track where the dollars go. So if the foreign charity must uh, report back annually on the use of the funds, must uh, give an accounting for where each dollar went, uh, and if the U.S. charity is really diligent in, you know, if a report's late, chasing it and, and getting that report back. Uh, and even, you know, with my clients, I say just set up the forms, provide them to that foreign grant recipient, uh, have a tickler, start reminding them when reports back are going to be due well in advance. So those are some pretty basic um, uh, things to do. Some of them can be quite challenging. Um, trying to run names through the specially designated nationals list, you can run into variations in spelling. You can run into transliteration issues. You can get false positives. Uh, you know, if, if you're running through a foreign person whose name is the equivalent of John Smith, <laughs> how useful you're is going that? to have but a I lot think of it's important a lot to do of, it. Uh, false positives. But it is important to do it. And, and as I, I think you said uh, earlier, it's important that when you have procedures and you're clear with the grantee what those procedures are, is to make certain that if they are not in compliance, that you mm -hmm. no longer continue to fund them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yes, and of Jane, course, and there should be. Go ahead. I was going to say there should always be a written grant agreement with the grant recipient that you know spells out we're going to require annual accountings, annual narratives on the progress of the project, um, and now we generally ask the grantee to make a statement that they are not engaged in terrorism or terrorist activities and will not use any of the funds for those kinds of things. 
Exactly, and those are those are uh, uh, things that should be in a well-written grant uh, agreement uh, with the grantee. Uh, Jane, we're going to uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, jump forward to 2007 uh, and another attempt on the part of Treasury uh, to provide additional help to international grant makers, and we will be right back. Excellent. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at capamerica.org, on iTunes, or just say, Alexa, play CAF America on TuneIn. Now, back to the Caring and Funding Podcast and our host, Ted Hart. And we are back here with Jane Peebles. Our topic today is responsible giving. Uh, Jane has written the chapter in uh, CAF America's uh, new book, Cross-Border Giving, A Legal and Practical Guide. Responsible giving is her topic, and the international grantmaker's perspective um, is the subtitle to that. And uh, what is the risk matrix for char the charitable sector that uh, Treasury uh, provided in 2007? Right. So uh, the risk matrix, Ted, was intended to help U.S. nonprofits that are making grants for use abroad adopt pre very pragmatic, effective, risk-based approaches to that grant making. The matrix is meant as a tool to assess risk, and it is intended to be extremely practical. So I can give you some of the things that uh, it, it covers. Uh, when you see this thing physically, it's got, here's a low-risk situation, this is medium risk, this is high risk. Uh, so something as, you know, can the grantee provide references from trusted sources? Um, if they can, great. If they're from sources that nobody even knows who they are, not so great. And if there are no references, you probably don't want to make that grant. Uh, does the uh, grant recipient have a history of legitimate charitable activities? Well, if they're new or recently formed, um, maybe not. Uh, who are its leadership? Do, or do any red flags go up when you run those people through the list? Um, even to does the grantee have explicit charitable purposes and does it disclose how its funds are used with specificity? Um, things that we take for granted here where we can go on the Internet and look at any U.S. charity's tax returns, those safeguards are not in place when we're making grants outside of the country, of course. Right, and this um, is one of the complexities of international grant making that uh, brings so many international grant makers to CAF America because there are so many moving pieces and so many things that need to be well documented. You need to have the expertise of what questions to ask and when, and I think to the, your point on the risk matrix, is to know what you're seeing when you're seeing it because mm -hmm. um, as, as we've learned so many times here at CAF America is that when things don't necessarily look right, it doesn't necessarily mean that the charity is fraudulent or that the grant can't be made, but it does increase the risk. More questions need to be asked. More answers need to be received. But in many parts of the world, charities are doing or charitable work is being done and not necessarily in the same uh, framework 
that we would necessarily recognize in the United States. That doesn't mean that it's not charitable or that it's not good work being done, but around the world, the, the charitable structure that we have, and it's so well known uh, in, here in the United States, does not exist in every part of the world. So it's having exactly. the expertise to be able to know what you're seeing, know the difference between what is charitable, what's defensible, and what is not. I think absolutely, and also to know what kind of information you should be seeking about the grantee uh, and the jurisdiction where they're operating. Exactly. Um, and, and in that risk matrix, it provides you know, some good, uh, uh, again, I always think of them as, as guideposts, roadmaps uh, that can uh, direct you towards understanding are you in a low-risk environment, are you in a high-risk environment, um, and making a grant in each of those environments is not exactly the same. That's exactly true. I think one of the most dramatic uh, items in the matrix is whether uh, in the country where that charity uh, is working, are, are there reliable banking systems and other regulated financial channels for moving money around? Um, you may find that the grantee doesn't use regulated financial channels. I mean, something as simple as I had a client who wanted to get funds into Venezuela recently. Um, the way I found out we might be able to do it, actually, was from Charities Aid Foundation, who had that knowledge already. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's, and that's why we're here. Cap America has 27 years experience in uh, grant making to 110 countries. We pride ourselves on the difficult. We pride ourselves on maintaining regulatory compliance. But Jane, what's often missed in our topic today, of course, we're focusing, you know, on the, the laws, the regulations and the roadmaps that are provided by the U.S. government, uh, the IRS, Treasury and other, other departments. But as we try to help people understand, that is often only part of the story. The other part of the story, which is not uh, the topic of today's conversation, are, are the regulations of the host country of that charity. Um, oh, and many times there are roadblocks to getting money into the country. And as you just pointed out, once you've identified the charity, which may be doing very, very good, good work, they may be working in uh, poor or difficult conditions. They may not have the same legal structure. They may not have uh, simple and easily understandable um, financial statements or even, as you just pointed out, a banking system within which they can account for the funds. Absolutely. I think so that's Jane, why the government... Uh, yes. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think that's why the government has issued so much guidance um, for U.S. grant makers who are funding projects abroad. It, we recognize that this is much harder and riskier than doing grants within the U.S., well, and, and you know, it's an interesting um, hand-in-glove sort of, uh, of approach because, you know, when you mention regulations and things like that, oftentimes people bristle and say, well, you know, there, there, there's always room for less regulations. But I think in this instance, the, the regulations, while there are many, and the penalties, while there are many, um, are uh, focused on making sure the funds that are meant to be charitable are in fact going to charitable means and are not being diverted e either accidentally uh, or on purpose uh, for, uh, for uh, in a direction that is not in fact charitable and to make certain that there is accountability 
uh, for the use of those funds because um, you know there are a lot of needs around the world uh, and having funds uh, diverted um, potentially makes it uh, even more difficult for worthy charities to attract the funding that they so desperately need. No, absolutely. And Ted, I think if anything, we're going to see more and more um, guidance and perhaps additional uh, laws enacted because these random terrorist attacks that are now spreading all around the world uh, keep this very much front of mind for grant makers in this arena. It's just getting harder to do well and properly. And so all resources are very much appreciated. And again, I've turned to Cherry's Aid Foundation several times, and I've been practicing in this area 35 years. So, uh, you know, you, you need all resources, and, and CAF has been a wonderful resource, Ted. Well, thank you, Jane. And uh, as have you and your years of experience uh, make your endorsement of CAF America all the more valuable uh, to us because you are one of those people uh, who are so knowledgeable, you know the difference. So once again, Jane Peebles, thank you for being our guest here today on the Caring and Funding Podcast. Thank you again for having me, Ted. You've been listening to the Caring and Funding Podcast powered by CAF America. Tell all your friends and colleagues to check out our archives, sign up for our free newsletter, and download our iPad and iPod-friendly podcasts at capamerica.org. Thanks for listening to the Caring and Funding Podcast.